few minutes. Uh, when I was younger, I wasn't going to say smaller because there's always somebody who would say, Alan, I don't think you were ever smaller. So I, when I was younger, there was a period of time when my mother, in order to make you know extra income at, at home, she did washing for folks. Uh, she um, cleaned houses, did those kind of things. And one time she was cleaning for uh, a family and had a huge house. She didn't complain about a lot. But my mother said it like this. She said, I sure don't like cleaning that big old picture window. Said it just like that, big old picture window. And the idea is, you think about those huge windows sometimes. I make the spiritual application to us that do we sometimes view our life like that big old picture window? Do we think that we've got a lot of time? Do we think that we have, you know, as far as you can move your arm to the left, as far as you can move your arm to the right and top to bottom, that we're just not in any hurry, that we can see for a long time, we can see forever, we're not in any hurry. Or hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully we feel the sense of urgency. We realize the sense of urgency to do what? Have a strong faith. Hopefully we have a strong faith in Christ, but also realizing that we are in a very shakable world. We know that. But the kingdom of God is unshakable. And we're going to read about that just in a few minutes. And I like to kind of lay out the, the vision, and then we'll finish where we start, is we need to be careful to make sure that we do not neglect Jesus Christ. We do not neglect the message. We do not neglect the salvation that he offers us. And we're going to read about that in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 25. He says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, and we'll make a reference to that, those three words, that phrase in a few minutes, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. You think about those reflective words just for a minute, or those reflective thoughts. That's a strong warning. That's a pretty harsh, uh, not harsh, but a sobering a reminder that we need to have awareness of what we're supposed to do. It forces us, some scholars say in the book of Hebrews, that the, the writer of Hebrews argues from the lesser to the greater. You're always moving from the lesser to the greater. Teaches us that Jesus is better than the old law. Teaches us that he is better than Moses. If you go while you're in Hebrews, flip back over or scroll back up. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. What is the comparison laid out for us with Jesus and the angels? Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this, God at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. 
what is the audience being reminded of? That Jesus is better than anything they knew they've ever known in their life. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. I don't read from the New King James Version. If you notice what's capitalized, he. It's talking about Jesus Christ. Because you make the cross reference of John chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. And I'll read it, but you're familiar with it. What happens? The Word became flesh. John chapter 1, beginning of verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. <coughs> Excuse me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus speaks, it's the same as God speaking to us. The words, we know that words matter. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen God. You think about us. If we refuse him, we're neglecting salvation. We are going to feel the wrath of God. He's also going to make a reference to Haggai that we'll get to just, just in a few minutes. When you think about that word, refuse, and we talk a lot about obey. Uh, we're having Bible studies. Uh, when the invitation's offered, we want people to obey. We want to obey. When we tell our story of how we were transformed through Jesus by, because of Jesus Christ, we use the word obey a lot. It's rare that we use the word reject or refuse. Well, I, I chose not to refuse or reject, but I chose to do what? Obey. So we don't spend a lot of time on that word refuse or reject. But when we refuse what God has offered to us through Jesus Christ, not only are we not obeying, but we're, we're turning our back on a transformed, on a changed life. We are refusing repentance. We're refusing the opportunity to turn away. We're refusing an opportunity to be reconciled. If you've ever had a disagreement with someone, hopefully you haven't. Chances are you have. We all have. Hopefully it's not been big, but chances that it has been, because we've all kind of been there that one of the best or most best times of that situation is if you can reconcile, is if you can make amends, if you can be reconciled and your relationship restored. Well, because of Jesus Christ, we can understand that reconciliation if we obey and not neglect. Also, we can understand what it means to be restored. From the beginning of Hebrews, we read in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, we see that the author establishes that who is speaking? God is speaking. We know that, that words do matter, um, that Jesus is everything, that we are judged on his, by his words. If you go to Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. When you think about words and the importance of how much words matter, we think about how important instruction is from the pulpit, how instruction is in the classrooms, in the home. Uh, this morning, I'm sure I joined several others who began a new Sunday, a new first time going back in to the classroom, teaching here at South Green Street. And it's been great. It was great for me. I got two pieces of free candy at the drills and skills table, and I got to meet all these wonderful young folks that I've known, but uh, we are in a classroom setting. It's given me an opportunity to be reintroduced to the next wave of our young folks. 
And it's reminded me the importance of instruction, the importance of words. But also, I want to hit the brakes just for a second when it comes to Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17, the importance of direction from the pulpit. Joe and I uh, recently, we had a recording while Daniel was in over Thanksgiving break. And I don't know if you know this, this is really awesome, by the way. This is really neat and really, and Daniel's doing a really, really good job. He's living, he and his family's living on the campus, pretty close to it, at Freed Hardman University. And I hope I don't get this wrong, but his, his title is missionary in residence. Just simply means that he's an instructor for a year and that he's sharing his experiences, his knowledge, his motivation to help people uh, draw them in to be missionaries, both in the U.S. or both internationally as well. But in our conversation, Daniel shared with us the other night, he said, I've learned since being on campus right out of semester what a great shortage there are of men choosing the minister-preacher track at Freed Hardman. He said, I didn't realize that. He said, I don't think the average person who sits in a church pew or in a church of any size across the U.S., and that's not to create an alarm. Daniel wasn't trying to do that, nor am I, but he's just trying to create awareness. He said, I don't think people realize what a shortage of preachers exists and will continue to exist. What does that have to do with you and I? Well, we just read in Hebrews chapter 12 uh, the importance of words, uh, the importance of sharing salvation so people do not neglect or reject uh, the words of Scripture. So that should hopefully create some more urgency in us to be willing to teach a Bible class, maybe consider uh, preaching school, maybe consider helping out in a pulpit uh, if that be the case. Uh, but Daniel really highlighted that for me. I, I referenced, I found a, a study from August 20, of 20, August 2022 from the Christian Courier they referenced a Barna study, folks who keep up with surveys and statistics, and they say 38%, and that's generally speaking, Barna is not a, a brotherhood group, let's say, uh, but Barna says about 38% of ministers are on the verge or considering leaving for lots of different reasons. The emotional challenges, financial challenges, uh, maybe compared to what the secular world offers from compensation, uh, health challenges, maybe internal conflict, all of those things, and they reference all of that. So what does that have to do with you and I before we read Romans 10? Is it's an opportunity for us to continue to encourage the preacher that we have, but also help grow the next generation because they're needed, because that deficit will continue to be felt behind the pulpit if we don't do something now and act. Because we see what happens in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who had believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we have an opportunity to take that, that passage and apply that, not only at South Green, but also for the future. Uh, I don't hear this phrase a lot anymore, but in, in our school setting, I'm sure some of our my friends who teach school, there was this phrase that the state of Kentucky came out with a few years ago called next generation learners. 
And I'm always, I use the word, I don't steal, I glean. I like to borrow other people's phrases and words. And I always like that phrase, next generation. And I've kind of taken that and, and filled in the blank. Next generation deacons, next generation elders, next generation preachers, next generation. It's an opportunity for us to be focusing on the next generation because there's a need that exists because of what we read in Hebrews chapter 12. What does the world need more than anything? Jesus Christ is what the world needs. How should they hear without a preacher? As we carry on if you, uh, with Hebrews 1 and 2, we already see that Jesus is from the lesser to the greatest. We see that Jesus is greater than anything that any of us could ever know, and even the crowd that was being written to there. If you go to Revelation chapter 1, last book of the Bible, verses 5 through 6. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. I know I just kind of made a case for people getting into the ministry, but here's another piece of good news. Another piece of good news is us as Christians, we don't have a time limit on our service. We don't, there's no, if you, once you become a Christian, as long as you are, uh, can read and write and comprehend and share and move about, you can conduct Bible studies. You can do all of those things. I still remember in the far back corner, Ruth Stevens, several years ago, she was in the high 90s then. She had her Bible that was kind of falling apart, and she was still taking notes. She was still reading and working and teaching and by example, but she was also a student. She was also being a student. And there's no timelines on us, our service as Christians. Because if you look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So once we obey, not neglect, not reject, but once we accept, embrace, and obey, that begins our opportunity not only to grow, but to share as well. There's no deadlines. We understand what deadlines mean. Deadlines are not a lot of fun. I just talked to Raina, me, Raina, Pam Smith, and Jennifer Fudge just survived another deadline. If you are married to a special education teacher, December 1 child count is takes over for about a month. Now, I, the only award I've ever really received is the world's best procrastinator. And that's, I've, somebody once gave me a badge, and I thought it was a good thing until I looked up the definition of procrastinator. But about the 1st of November, we get an email that says, December 1 child count, what does that mean to us? That means that that's how we get funding from the state of Kentucky and from Washington, D.C. for our kids and for our programs. If your paperwork is not immaculate, if your paperwork's not lined up, if your paperwork, is, if you've missed deadlines or timelines, and, and if it's not literally locked up in the system, you're going to get a little talking to. Somebody's going to talk to you. Somebody's going to find you ahead of time, and you better not have everything messed up after December 1st. We understand what all of that means for our standpoint. But deadlines, something that nobody really likes. We struggle with that. Uh, you know, on the 1st of November, I get an email, don't forget. I'm like, oh, a lot of football to watch between now and December 1st. That's okay. Four weeks, five weeks, it's, it, I'm sure it's somewhere. It, it'll be okay. But as Christians, we understand that the great news is we get to continue to grow. We also 
get to continue to share because we don't want others to reject the words of Jesus Christ. We all like the idea, think about John 3, 16, this morning in our Bible class, we talked about Bible verses. And I told our, the, the guys in my middle school class, I said, I don't want you to memorize Bible verses because you have to. I don't want you to memorize things because you're going to take a test over it. I want you to memorize Bible verses because it's uh, going to help you get through those dark moments of your life, the most challenging times of your life. You're also going to be strengthened. You're going to, your foundation will be stronger. And we all like the, those memory verses, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We like what words say, what the Bible is plain about, about salvation, that God doesn't want anybody to perish. If you go to Titus chapter 2, beginning verses 11 through 15, we're trained by God's grace. We're trained by his saving grace. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has, has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing for our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for him his own special people, zealous for good works. In verse 15, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. The Bible is plain, and we like all of those verses. I do. It provides great comfort to me and to everyone that we share those with. But maybe we sometimes struggle with verses like Hebrews 9.27 when we realize there will be a day of judgment. We all have a limited number of sunsets. And sometimes we uh, maybe hold back because we don't want to run somebody off or to maybe cause someone not to be interested in what the church offers or what Christ offers. But I see just the opposite of that. I see just the opposite in the fact that there, we, there is a day of judgment. We, we all have an expiration. And also, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us what happens if we neglect the words of God. What happens if we refuse Jesus Christ? That God also uh, dispenses wrath as well. Go to Haggai chapter 2. I'm going to read six verses. Do you think about the unshakable kingdom? Hebrews chapter 2. In the seventh month, Haggai chapter 2 beginning verse 1, I'm sorry. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, the governor or governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all of all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. So my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. In verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations. They shall come to, to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. We see the argument is from the lesser to the greater. Heavens and earth were shaken. Temple was destroyed. Matthew 24, Mark 13 tells us that Jesus says, no stone left, left upon another. 
You think about the temple being a place of worship. You think about the church. You think about God's kingdom being unshakable. What shakes your life? What's, what is shaking you in your life? The loss of a family member, finances, maybe an uncertain future. All of those things, we understand what it means to be shaken. But here, we know that God owns everything, which should also remind us that He is in control, but also the church has an opportunity to offer peace. Hopefully that we never bring in any type of disgruntlement or strife. I referenced the article earlier, and that's one of the reasons that ministers give for leaving is because of internal conflict, because of contention. Uh, now, I'm not a, uh, I, like, I like American history. Uh, I kind of struggle with world geography and maybe history, you know, from the beginning of time sometimes. But I do know this about empires. Most empires fall from within because of strife, because of challenges. And if we're not careful, that also could happen uh, within the church. But may we never bring those things within, within our congregation or within the church. We know that the church has an opportunity to offer peace. The church has an opportunity to offer stability. Uh, right now, it's not news to you that the world struggles with upheaval. The world struggles with disgruntlement. And I used to, you know, I don't have a lot of culture. I haven't gone a lot of places, really. I used to think that the problems existed, like, over there, other places that I watched on television. Um, yesterday, I was, was going to share it, but I, I chose not to. But I took a screenshot from WBKO yesterday on Shive Lane. If you know where Shive Lane is, there was a gentleman. Uh, and I don't get worked up about what people wear, really. Uh, I just don't. But I saw a gentleman who was all blacked out, dressed up, all those headgear, everything, and was carrying, had strapped on an assault rifle. I'm going, wait a minute. You know, this is not, you know, East L.A. or somewhere. This is in Bowling Green. And I don't know about you. I've grown up going to Bowling Green, playing sports, uh, went to school there, uh, took kids there to coach and all those things. And I never felt the need to walk around anywhere in Bowling Green with an assault rifle. Just never have. Even when the line at Chick-fil-A is two, two rows deep, I've never gotten upset. I've never been that worked up that I felt like that I needed uh, to arm myself for fear of anything. But what does that mean? It's, it's a symptom of more division, symptom of unrest, symptom of people not knowing how to deal with, with maybe what's on their mind. We know that political disagreements will always exist. We know that. That's not going to go away just because November 4th went away. We know that those things will continue to happen, but us as a church, we have an opportunity to provide that peace and, and that stability because God's kingdom is unshakable. Think about Haggai chapter 2, the audience that is being talked to, the governor. Uh, he's verbally reminded them that the temple will be restored. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, you think about all of our possessions, all the things that can be lost, all the things that can be done away with should give us perspective. 2 Peter chapter 9, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 reminds us, reminds us that everything here is temporary. Uh, at home, we had a, was having a conversation a few weeks ago. We were trying to talk about maybe our future and some things we want to do. And, and I was reminded that it's all going to burn anyway, right? And I'm like, you're right, but we don't act that way. And I'm talking about myself, that when you're running 100 miles a day, or 100 miles an hour, not 100 miles a day, 
100 miles an hour or you're going 100 different directions, uh, we don't act like it's going to burn up. We act like it's going to be here forever. And again, I'm talking to me too, that we, you know, we just got to have a little more. We got to expand the brand a little more. We got to expand the acreage a little more. We got It's constantly more and more and more and more. But what does 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 10 tell us? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Everything that is, as far as you can point, uh, on Friday nights, uh, if you, we, I listen to, to Joe and Larry when doing high school football on Friday nights. And Larry always says you, he can throw that ball as far as he can point. And any, as far as you can point, everything's going to be burned up. Everything is going to end. Everything will, will perish except for God's kingdom. Matthew 16, 18 reminds us what Jesus says. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, to use scriptural language, the devil cannot judge the kingdom of God. And aren't we thankful? Sometimes our faith does get shaken. Sometimes losing someone in our life, a job, all of those things. As far as we can point, we realize that these things can be, will be shaken. But the good news is all of those things that can be shaken will be gone because it reminds us of all the things that will not be shaken. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. If you scroll back down just a little bit. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Think about that word, therefore. Because of this, we realize that the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. And we should hopefully have our perspective as such that that's what we are pledging our allegiance to. We're not pledging our allegiance to an earthly, to an earthly kingdom. We're not pledging our allegiance to an earthly organization or to a financial institution. But we're pledging our allegiance to the King, Jesus Christ. As we near the end, if you go, flip back to Revelation chapter 2, you think about verse 2, the loveless church. Talking about Ephesus and the first love of what we're committed to. Revelation chapter 2, beginning of verse 1 says, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. I know your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. We're given a formula, you might say, in verse 5. What happens? when we have neglected Christ, when we have neglected salvation, we have turned our back. Well, repent and do what you did first, what you, what you started with. You go back to that first love. You think about the unshakable kingdom. We know that 
uh, all the things that we can see or connected to can be destroyed and will be destroyed except for the church. One of the of all the uh, the greatest nations, as was referenced in the temple, uh, in the Roman Empire, of all the all the the destruction that had taken place, was done from those who lost their allegiance to God, who chose to turn their back on God. I think about today that our allegiance should always be to King Jesus. The text is clear in Hebrews chapter twelve, verses twenty five to twenty eight, that if we neglect our that salvation we will not be reunited with those we've lost love with for, for a little while. You think about maybe children, grandchildren, spouses, parents, grandparents, neighbors, friends, and neighbors. We know it's the, the text is clear that if we neglect the words, we neglect the salvation, we will not only receive the wrath of God, but we will also be shut out in utter darkness. We'll never be reunited with those who have gone on before us. I don't know about you, but I want to go to heaven more than any, anything in the world, more than anything here and more than any goals, any, any, uh, any maybe uh, success I might want to have or anything that I want to do. I want to go to heaven more than anything. But that only happens when we accept, embrace, and obey what Christ has done for us. I ask you these couple of questions as you ponder on your response. What stands between you and being baptized for the remission of sins? You have a group of people who are here who want to pray for you, who love you, who want to embrace you, and who want to hug you and be there for you in the coming days. What stands between you and being baptized for the remission of sins? What stands between you and returning? What stands between you from stopping the, re the life of rejection the life of acceptance of Christ, to the life of obedience. You think about what stands between you and Christ. We're going to stand and sing, and we ask you to take that first step as, we, as you respond to the Lord's invitation. Jesus, give me.